I need to have some wow words in my intro. Wow words. <laughs> Spice it up a How bit. many times are we going to record this intro? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm good today. I'm all fired yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Welcome to GCP Live, episode number 59, for the 1st of March, 2024. GCP Life is sponsored by Mantle Group. At Mantle Group, we make the Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we have heaps of Aussie tech news. Plus, we have a swathe of new GCP features. We have an update on the latest cybersecurity breaches. Plus, Google goes all in on Gemini in the AI wars. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the co-host of the show, Ian Brown. How are you going, Ian? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing, mate? Good, mate. Good, good, good. And a very special welcome to Dimitri Pocketol. How are you, Dimitri? Hey, Steve. Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. We'll get on to uh, exactly why you're here later, but uh, love. yeah, it's great to have you on board, mate. Great to have you today. Cheers. Uh, how, are you, how are you all doing? What's been happening during the fortnight? Mate, I've got access to Gemini 1.5. Ah, in, and what have you been doing with Gemini 1.5 exactly? Well, not a huge amount at the moment. I'm just trying to figure out what I can do with it and what I can't do with it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I only got access to it um, the other day. But, yeah, looks really, really cool. And I've got Gemini on my phone now too. It's replaced Google Assistant. Yes, yeah, so I did that the other day too. So if you want to get it, just go in and fire up the Google Assistant. Um, if you've got a Pixel phone, you'll have it on there. And it just prompted me and said, would you like to start using Gemini? Said, yeah, for sure. Mm. And then it's it's reinstalled the Gemini app and now the icon's changed to Gemini. Yep. And, and you can just, you can do a, you know, a um, put a prompt in and, and just do like a regular AI type, uh, you know, prompt to get, look for what you're after. Yeah. And the only other thing that's happened in my world is air conditioning. Air conditioning oh, in my office. That's what's on the wall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I now no longer have to sit here sweating to my desk. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, I'm here and it's oh, it's been getting close to 40 degrees outside today and yeah. I've had to turn my air off because it's so noisy and uh, it's a little bit sticky in here at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. Normally I have a little Google sticker, a Google poster there behind me. That's gone, yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah. No, well, yeah, it's over on the desk over here, but yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, excellent, excellent. Um, besides that, um, my tech adventure this week has been uh, putting my VMware lab together, as I've mentioned in the show before. Um, I'm at the stage now where I have uh, ESX set up. Uh, I've got one of the uh, sites built. Um, I'm calling them Sydney and Brisbane because, you know, we don't, we don't want to have a Melbourne site. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I've got v- vSphere uh, running on that um, and everything's there, everything's happy. And I went to the point where, okay, I'll go and set up my, my vSAN. And the plan I was going to do is use a separate switch, um, set up a, a VM kernel interface and use my jumbo frames through that switch and put my vSAN across that. Anyway, put that switch out, went to fire it up. No Leno, workies. Nothing, no workies. That switch is dead, dead in the water. Um, yeah, did all the tricks to try and revive it. The fan starts up and I can feel the air coming out the back of it, but there's no light in the front. He's dead in the water. Yeah. So I've ordered another uh, 3570, um, 3750, I don't know, it's going to get confused running away there, 90 bucks, they're cheapest chips. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm waiting for that to go in, so I'll give it to the VSIM. But uh, yeah, going pretty good at, at the moment. And I, I did sign up for VMUD, which is the VMware Users Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's about uh, 200 bucks a year, and you get all the licenses. Oh, cool. Include- yeah, so you get uh, licenses for uh, Cloud Foundations uh, 7 and 8. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a 7 install because I figured any of our clients that want to move to the cloud, it's unlikely they'll be running 8. They're probably, yeah. running, they're probably even running 6, right? Like they're yeah. probably old, old estates. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've gone with 7 just so uh, we can unite that as close as possible. And, yeah, I'm using those licenses and setting things up. Yeah, nice. 
Yeah, mm. I, I can. I can't imagine anybody running VMware eight at the moment, just purely based on like what we've covered with the the coin associated with the upgrades. Oh boy, and uh, I I get a feeling that uh, Broadcom's uh, the, their approach is going to be they don't want to deal with small fry. Yep. they just want to deal with the the hyper the the, the um. Uh, well, you know, the big hyperscalers, yep. Hyperscalers, thank you. Uh, and uh, that, that, that'd be, they're not going to be pissing around with small little licenses here, there, and everywhere. Um, I, I've, uh, little, I have heard a uh, little bit, he told me that uh, even AWS's support model, so their support model is different to the GCP, um, where uh, VMware still provides the support for, for VMware. Broadcom aren't even happy with that. Um, so they'll AWS will probably want to move more to a, a GCP style model where uh, Google does the entire package, entire support well, package. And so I said this to someone the other day, and I can't mm. remember who it was I was talking to, but I said that this might spell the end for a lot of those little MSPs that are out there selling VMware estates to to customers. And and I also said to someone, and yeah. I think it might have been yeah. you the other week that. Um, AWS might be in a little bit of a bit of hurt because Broadcom is very likely to say, "Yeah, look, we're not building a custom image for you anymore. Use certified hardware or go away." No, I can totally see it happen. Yeah. I absolutely can say, "Why? Yeah, it's just just not just not what Broadcom's about." Yeah, right. The, the, yeah. Um, anyway, we'll, yeah, we'll keep track of it and see how it goes. But uh, yeah, my little lab's come along nicely. Love about yourself, Dimmy? You been doing any tech adventures? Yeah. Well, it's. On a on a good uh, I guess on a good side uh, it's twenty one in Melbourne so I don't need aircon. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> More like a heater maybe uh, during the night. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I was all all over the go go um, uh, one point twenty two release. Um, it's uh, yeah, it was a was a big one I think. Um, I just have oh, uh, yeah. some yeah. hobby projects and stuff and. Um, yeah, I think yeah. The the good thing about it is they they kind of um, so so before people would use like a Gorilla MOOCs library for all the like handling of HTTP routes, um, and that one was like kind of end of life. And then there was not really much alternative if you just want like a HTTP routing, but without like kind of huge web framework. Um, so yeah, that uh, it's now in the Go Go standard library. So I was like, oh, is um, it? yes, yeah, it is. So I was oh. like, uh, um, yeah, I just started slowly kind of migrating all my hobby projects from um, yeah, from uh, Gorilla MOOCs to the to the one point twenty two, and like yeah, so you can have like all the um, variables inside the routes that you need to map and stuff. So yeah, that's uh, that's, oh, that's really cool. Because mm. I've been yeah. struggling with Jin. Because like, oh, yeah. you, yeah, you've got the Jin framework there, which is huge, mm. um, and it does some really cool stuff. But it's like oh, got to, it's just another thing I've got to learn. It's like learning back in the days of PHP, where you had to learn Zend framework, and it was a behemoth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why I'm like also uh, yeah, a big fan of Go because uh, standard library is so so rich and so good. Yeah, the other mm. um, the the other thing was um, I was trying to implement rate limiting on the APIs using Go and yeah, also found that uh, X time package and like, yeah, every time you look at the, like something in a standard library, you're like, oh, it's just a piece of art really when you're looking at their code that uh, yep. that rate limiting API, it's such a concise, but at the same time, so powerful and like implementation, look at the implementation, it's just like a, I know, 300 lines of code that uh, easy to, easy to read. So, I was, uh, yeah, nice. I was impressed as always. Yep. All right. Well, uh, just before we get on with the news items, um, <laughs> little funny ones coming at the top of you, top of the show. Um, Parliament cut off because they didn't pay a bill. <laughs> What's this all about? <laughs> yeah, this is this one I saw the other day, and it was hilarious. So, uh, Parliament had a fifteen-hour outage of their expense system. Because they didn't pay their invoice for their um, authentication provider, the two-factor system. Yeah, <laughs> which was, so, which was so, probably part of the expense. One of yeah, the that, expense was to pay the probably. bill, but they couldn't pay a bill because the expense system was down. Uh. <laughs> but the, I mean, that's the, it. Just goes to show that no matter how big an organisation you are, you can always have little stuff ups like this. Well, they blamed it. 
on the fact that the the uh, provider changed their their billing requirements to be prepaid and, instead of paid in years. And uh, it was never paid, so they just got cut off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just saying that uh, I was working at uh, one of the telcos, and um, so they had this uh, automation system that was sending emails about complaints. Um, I think it's like a part of the requirements, and then they found out that emails are not going through. And yeah, they figured out that that third party that they were using, they just turned them off because they were not paying bills. Um, and uh, and like yeah, so and they they didn't know about it, like for several months because like well, e- ca- emails about complaints didn't go through, so like no everything was okay. And then they found <laughs> out that the notification about paying a bill was going to the person who left who left Telka, so it was just going to the to the email address that was <laughs> just going no, to catch up. Yeah, yeah, no one was uh, monitoring and stuff. Yeah. Uh yes. Uh, I guess that's your horror, horror story then, do we? We can get yeah. one for <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, you have so many of those. <laughs> I imagine you would have. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, and uh, it's uh, we, we predicted it the other week, but Michelle McGuinness appointed National Cybersecurity Court today. Now, come on, like... Yep. The whole story last week, we're not sure she's going to yeah. be appointed. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. nothing's <laughs> confirmed yet. It might happen, but it also might not. And reading between the lines, it was definitely happening. Uh, but, are. yeah, we, yeah. Got the, we got the the article that says, yeah, she has officially been appointed and she replaces uh, Air Marshal Darren Goldie. Um, yeah, who, who uh, refresh your memory, who is uh, recalled because of a workplace matter. Yes, that's right. It was too. Yeah. Which, which was prior to his appointment as the United Security Matter. And we have Telstra, who is testing out a, what do you know, cloud-based system to act as a redundant uh, networking structure. Yeah, so, so this is, uh, I sort of read this and went, oh, this is probably one that Optus should probably be reading. Um, but... Yeah, so they're they're trialing Nokia's IP-based uh, multimedia subsystem in um, in one of the other cloud providers, uh, but because Telstra is multi-cloud, so they they're across all three, uh, they have the option to put it into Google as well. Yeah, they have specifically called out that they want to keep it multi-cloud so that they're not not locked in. Mm-hmm. If they want to be uber redundant, then that really makes sense, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, but the challenge was to build this so-called translator, which uh, acted as an interface between Nokia's infrastructure and Ericsson. And then finally, before we get on with the main portion of the show, um, I don't know uh, if you guys have been watching Channel 9, Channel 9's news coverage over the last couple of days, but uh, they've been running this uh, story, uh, police swoop on scammers accused of sending Australians more than 80 million bogus text messages. Now, this is a big sting that happened with the AFP, and um, they uh, busted these three Chinese nationals operating out of an apartment in Burwood, and uh, they showed the SIM boxes that they, they used to do mm. these scams. I don't know if you've seen these, but they had multiple SIM boxes, and each SIM box has a, a card inserted into it with an antenna, and it's you get 64, basically 64 phones, that are punching out a text message every one to five seconds operating 24 hours a day. Yep. And they had multiple SIM boxes doing that. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm looking at the photo of at the moment going, holy, that's a, yeah. that's a lot of mobile phones and a lot of SIM cards. Yeah, they had piles of SIM cards. If you watch mm. the vision, uh, you could probably go and find the current affairs story. Now, I, current affairs is not the biggest font of uh, news reporting that there is out there, <laughs> but this story did catch my attention. Um, if you go and watch the current affairs story, you can see there are piles of SIM card piled up on the desk. But the thing is, the whole operation was, it was clinical, mm. right? The, the the apartment was spotless, right? All the equipment was installed, was all neatly set out, laid out on the desks and everything was all neatly set up properly and that. It, it wasn't like a, you know, like you could imagine some sort of illegal, you know, operation being. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, so these guys knew what they were doing and uh, highly organised. 
Well, once like, once you've created the text messages that you're going to send out, and you and you're sending them out to your auto senders, then you've really got nothing else to do but clean up cabling. <laughs> no, no, nothing to do exactly. Yeah. So they were sending out um, ads. Um, oh, sorry, text messages and pretending to be an Auspost, um, uh, Telstra. Those text messages that you probably would have received. Um, these guys were doing a lot of those apparently. Yeah, right. Um, I do have to pull up uh, Superintendent Kraft, um, who says at the end of this story, he's quoted at the end of this story, if you receive a text message, treat it with absolute suspicion. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But um, legitimate businesses, he goes on to say, legitimate businesses do not interact with their customers via text message. Mm, Mm, Don't know about that so much, right? Wrong. I can show you multiple text messages on here from Oxford, the clothing company, Amazon, um, uh, Anaconda, right? Legitimate text messages. And they'll say, Hey, we've got a sale on today, blah, blah, blah. There's your, there's your interaction with your customer. Via oh, I've, I've got one on my mobile phone because I was setting up the OzPost digital identity, mm. um, for, for sending, uh, packages around. And yeah, they, they send you a text message. Like here's the link yeah. to the digital identity. And what about any multi-factor system, right? Yeah. So they're using text messages. They're interacting with you, yeah. with their customers via text message. Yeah. So, so sorry, I'm Superintendent just, Kraft, you are wrong. Yes, um, he is wrong on that particular point, yeah. so But it's it's very confusing, right, for yeah. individuals that aren't, aren't in the know like us. Like, what, what's legitimate and what's not, right? Where, where do you – how do you know? Well, if yeah. you've got a pixel. But that, that's so annoying and, like, it, it feels like that you, you could – yeah, they could have probably avoid, I know, at least like 90% of that scam really, not not even sending it to the recipients, right? Because those links, if you look at them, those links like are complete garbage. Like, oh, complete nonsense, are. yeah. Like yeah. the domain will be some made-up domain or something. But, yeah. but I know like I, my father-in-law lives with us and, and he's 90. Um, he'll be 90 on the weekend actually. Uh, and... And I know that if he gets a text message that he doesn't know, he'll come and ask. Like he's where where that local and and he knows that that I'm in that industry, so he'll just come and ask. But you can imagine how many like elderly people, baby boomers and the likes, um, that don't have a technical resource floating around the house, or don't have someone to to send the text message to, or know how to screenshot, even. Yeah, spot on. And like, yeah, you would think that, um, yeah, probably like providers could do something about it. Um, well, they are. I think they are. I, yep. Telstra Optus, they've got a, they've got a coalition that they're working together to try and block a lot of these spam, spam calls and spam texts. Yep. Yeah. Um, and Google's got it in, built into the pixels too. So yeah. you get a spam. I, I could go into mine. There's probably a dozen in there already. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. So. I mean, everybody's trying to fight it. I think it's just one of those really difficult ones to fight because the numbers that the text messages come from just cycle so quickly. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and when when you've got these sin machines pumping out millions of messages, I mean, you know, the, the, the AFP have shut down one nest, another one's going to spring up or three more will spring up. Yep. That's what's like, yeah, maybe if you want to send any marketing, then you need maybe some better verification, maybe. Because you're pretty much sending the same message to like many recipients, right? So hmm. maybe you could just do some more gates for this because it's clearly for commercial purposes or something. Yeah. So if you're doing it legitimately, like Oxford or um, Amazon, or sorry, um, um, Anaconda or that, they're sending out legitimate marketing and engaging with their, their members if you're in some sort of membership program. You can buy access to Telstra and Optus. They give you an API gateway to actually send the SMSs through. You don't. You're not using yeah. a, a SIM machine like that. You're doing it programmatically. Mm. Um, and that's that. That's actually a really good point that I was going to bring up. Is maybe maybe things like these SIM machines should be regulated as as much as uh, like firearms, for instance. They, yeah. They- well, they're imported. I believe they're imported legally from China. Yeah, so, so and I did read something about the um, the AFP or Border Force is is cracking down on these things coming into the country, but yeah, I mean they're they're fighting a losing battle, sadly. Mm. Yeah, 
Oh, well, it'd just be like the war on drugs all over again. The war on text messages. <laughs> yep, the war on text messages. Yeah. It's all right, all I don't right, answer them anyway. Let's, yes. <laughs> all right. All right, enough of the banner, guys. Let's get on with the news items. All right. Uh, let's get on with the biggest news item of the week. Uh, a little bit of sad news. And that is that uh, our good friend uh, Ian Brown is leaving the show. I am indeed. Yeah, so I am leaving. I am leaving Kazna slash Mantle Group. Um, moving on to I, I need to look after my health a little bit better and uh, and I'm going to go and, and uh, work in an insurance firm uh, building out their analytics platform on Google. Yeah, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, shouldn't be uh, the big heavy hitting uh, GCV migration style of project. <laughs> no, no, they're 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 few and far between those GCV projects, but geez, they're mm. fun. Well, and they're they're pretty high profile and pretty high pressure too. I have to say. Yep. Um, but no, this sounds like a good little geek. Yeah, yeah, yeah it uh, it promises to be very good. Though I must uh, admit they're making me use a Mac and that sort of weirds me out. Mm, yeah, I don't <laughs> think I'd like that either. No. Um, so, yeah, so this brings us on to why we've got Dimmy here. Um, Dimmy will be taking over as the co-host of the show. So welcome aboard, Dimmy. Thank you. Thanks. Where's the, where's, the, where's the cheering uh, button? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put, put, it, put it in post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I do hope that you don't suffer the co-host curse, Dimmy, because this is uh, you'll be the fourth co-host now, and they don't tend to stick around for very long. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. You'll do your best, yeah. Um, I'm already already getting a vibe. You're, you're bringing some insights to the show that uh, Ian and I probably haven't done in the past, because we love talking about hardware and VMware and networking and all the rest of it, but... Uh, I'm getting a clear developer angle from you, Demi, and that's going to be a great, uh, great addition to the show. Yep. Yeah. Cheers. I look forward to hearing future episodes. Yeah. And uh, don't mind me if my eyes glaze over if you start talking about data and databases. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. With that out of the way, um, and everyone knows what's happening, uh, so next week it'll just be me and you, Demi, so get prepared for that. Um, yeah, with that out of the way, um, we'll have a look here. The Department of Health and Aged Care, speaking of data and data platforms, um, they're moving their uh, data workloads into GCP. Yeah, they are indeed. So, uh, yeah, Department of Health and Aged Care is going to begin by migrating Hadoop-based workloads into an instance of BigQuery. Uh, just the uh, one instance? The whole just, thing? Yeah, yeah, just, just, just one, the one instance, instance like, yeah. Just, just you just don't done. need any more. It's just one. No, that's it. One. <laughs> yeah. So you know, what? it's it's about time, really, for something like this, a unified platform for this. Yeah, that's right. So uh, they they said that they're doing that before expanding to other unspecified data assets from a range of internal sources. Mm, um, mm, and Google mm. said that it's going to train up to seventy department staff, equipping them to take full advantage of the data analytics platform within four months. Mm, mm. So that'll, that'll be a good win for them. Healthcare, it must be a mess, right? There must be stuff everywhere. And uh, as I say here, unspecified assets from a range of internal sources. You've got this yeah. database to do that and this and that. Well, not unified. Tr- trying to pull that together and do things with analytics on it would be a mess. Primarily but, uh, be be their, their source workloads, I would assume, would be yeah. SQL Server databases that feed into their Hadoop. Um, clusters and then, yeah, yeah. But, but I think simplify that, all yeah. that. Yeah, they also probably have a problem that um, they would have this data like across so many years and like from so many, yeah, as you said, sources. But then the format of the data and stuff probably like very different. Um, actually, yeah, when I was working for one of the health insurance companies, that was a problem when you got someone who signed up like let's say 40 years ago and you had like a, this plan with those like inclusions and those like, were working completely different and now you got like some new and you need to have all this data across all of these um, 
Yes, that's uh, that's actually very tricky when you try right. to unify, unify those data structures, mm. really, and store right. it all. You've got all this legacy data and legacy plans there, and you've still got to support that. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's right. So, and this one, this one is a Department of Health, so this is going to be even. Yeah, it's going to be huge. But then, mm. but then I'd imagine too, being how big Department of Health and Aged Care is, that they'd have multiple different sections with inside of that department that have copies of some databases. So instead of just referencing the source, they'd have some replication of that to bring into their system so that only their application can touch it and all that. It, yeah, it, it would be a big, big data platform. Well, I, I guess uh, they seem confident. They seem, that the, they seem to think they can do it in what mm. – they said they're going to train staff within four months. Yep. Um, I guess the migration is probably going to take around that long as well. I guess what they, that's guess what they're, they're alluding to there. Well, they they said in the in the following paragraph that uh, that um, the extent of the work aligns to the whole of department data strategy, which spans twenty twenty two to twenty twenty five. So, sometime next year, they intend to finish right, it. Right, right. The three year program. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, cool. Well, we'll see how that goes, uh, pans out for them. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Google Cloud, a uh, bunch of new features, uh, a couple of them really cool, all of them really cool, actually. Uh, kicking off the list, we've got uh, new internal RAGE API simplifies IP address management. Yeah, it does. So this, this is a really cool feature that Google's brought out uh, to help try and simplify IP management across mm. uh, a complex environment. So as, a, as everybody knows here, that the, the bigger your environment grows in Google Cloud, the harder it is to maintain what IP addresses and ranges are being allocated to what. Mm. Um, we do some... Well, we do, it, goes with, it goes with any network, right? Well, that's right, yeah. yeah. And we, we do some, some trickery inside of Terraform to get CFT to manage it. And, mm. um, but Google's now giving us an API that allows you to automatically allocate subnets um, from free address range space uh, within your VPC and reserve and protect internal ranges, um, as well as uh, reserve and protect on-premise ranges. Right, because uh, that's what I didn't quite understand reading this blog. They seem to, the language they use, they seem to flip between the two. It's a little confusing. Oh, yeah. Well, we yeah. just actually, I just sent this article to my, well, to my client's email address because we just had that problem pretty much a couple of months ago because uh, they're using Infoblox. And yeah, for me, the most interesting was at the bottom of this article there because the integration with Infoblox. Yep. Um, because currently they would manage all their on-prem addresses using Infoblox, but then when they, when they need to create something from GCP side, they would kind of put it in manually into the into the info blocks and then it's also like not really maintained so let's say if you don't need uh -huh. this address anymore or something usually it would still no one ever goes and deletes there. it no. that's right yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah that's right so it's like ma maintaining it and syncing it is uh, actually quite a headache and um mm. yeah we were, try we were thinking about uh, how can we automate it here you go you don't need to automate this anything you just wait until google yeah. is it <laughs> yeah that's it and, and this is this is awesome because i i was uh, so, because I'm doing cloud foundations for a client at the moment, and uh, and one of the things that I've done because I didn't know this was out until sort of last week was um, I've created an auto TFRs. It's got all the allocations in there, and it's got all the spare ranges in there that are all commented out, so that you can allocate those ranges to specific uh, yeah, sub VPCs. Do a manual. You still got to go in and do mm. this and do that, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It is 100%. But it's but if you've got it in a central location in Terraform, then it's a little bit easier to manage. Mm -hmm, but this mm -hmm. just this just blows that solution out of the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it integrates with it links to Infobox. So you make a change in this API, and that change will appear in Infobox, basically. Yep. yep. Right. For Okay. Yeah, that's uh, I think yeah, many many enterprise companies would would use Infoblox at the moment. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 So, so what about when you create a a, a a VPC and then you you allocate something out of the range that you've got reserved? 
will it record that in the API and then that'll appear in info blocks? Like, or was it just the ones you've already pre-reserved? So, so the, the, there's actually examples of that exact thing is you've yeah. created a VPC um, and then there's a, a gcloud network connectivity internal ranges command that you, you issue create with a prefix length um, and attach it to your, your VPC name. Um, and that automatically manages that for you. This is good. Yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not just good, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been the missing bit of Google that that is like, uh, I've done it in spreadsheets before, or I've done it in iPams yep. before, but it's all been very manual. Yes. And this just makes it that much more simple. Yep. This is this is the power of cloud, right? I mean, you can't, mm. you can't really do this on, on-prem. Right, you're no. not going. You're not going in the Cisco switch and going, you know, uh, interface VLAN, blah, uh, IP address, blah, 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 and then having that automatically for your info blocks. Right, no. you, you've got to go in and do that, or you've it's already assigned it in info blocks, and then you put it in here, you're doing it manually, or maybe you've got an Ansible model doing it. Um, yeah, yeah, this can happen automatically. It's great. Right? Yeah. The the only way I've done it previously on prem is when you've got an IPAM that's got a trigger there. And you call a a little script that basically goes into your your switch and and creates a new VLAN with that specific range on it, which yep. I used to do on Cisco switches quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. Once again, it's roll your own, right? And you're yep. you've got to you've got to look after that whole tool chain and breaks. You know, you're, you're up for it. Yeah. Um, not with this. Nope. Excellent. All right. Moving on. Um, custom responses. Uh, custom error responses. Now, this is good, and I've immediately got a use case for this. So, so what we can do now in our global load balancers uh, is we can do a HTTP error status response uh, based on the error, responded error code, uh, custom page. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. this is this is really cool. So, uh, once upon a time, it was just like a generic error page that used to come up. Yeah, um, yeah, like a like you'd hit a four hundred four and it'd come up with like a error yeah, not found, yeah, big yeah, black five, text on white 505 background. Five hundred five backend error, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Gee, thanks. Four twenty two. I'm a teapot, yeah. or four eighteen. I'm yeah. a teapot. Whatever it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can never remember. <laughs> that was a great code. We yeah. used to send that for all responses. Um, <laughs> well, you could do that now. <laughs> well, I, I used to do that in uh, in code when I was coding. Anytime there was a res- like an error to a to an end user, I'd send I'm a teapot. Um, just because Um, (laughs) a bit of fun in in coding but yeah so this gives you a way to provide consistent branding on your error pages so you know the google error pages that you see with little robot that's all broken and and that that's a that's an error page so um and it gives gives you the ability to provide contextual and relevant information so it enhances user experience um the, the, so the article also claims it mitigates negative impact of downtime and client-side errors. Now, Not- this is what grabbed my attention. Mm. Um, the, yeah, the use case for this would be uh, sorry pages, right? You've got a website, you've got your, your WordPress or whatever, you've got to take it down, do your upgrades, bang, put your, put your, 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 you can return with a 200 and return the sorry page, you know, so we're, we're down for maintenance at the moment. Yep. yep. Um, and the other one that it's got is improves network security. Now, I'm not sure exactly how that improves network security. It's an error page, unless your error pages spew out a whole heap of server signatures, which they shouldn't do, but... Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. There's, there's no data in the article, to, in the, the documentation to, to back up that claim of improving network security, but um, yeah. But anyway... It's there. It's a really good feature, and um, whilst it's only available to global, external load balancers, um, so you can't use internal ones are not available, and um, a regional load balancer doesn't have it either. Mm. Uh, it's still it's a really really good good feature. I just thinking about that network security thing. If you were I'm just thinking of sort of an attack vector. If you're fuzzing a website trying to find pages that didn't exist, for instance, and you're getting intentionally generating 404s, um, mm-hmm. you may want to set it up so instead of a 404, there's some other a 200 is returned or something else is returned so that the 
attacker doesn't know about the that particular aspect of your page. Yeah, it's quite possible. Yeah, one way. I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking off the cuff here. Um, yeah. Could be something you want to do. Um, I've, all, I've always had, certainly in code that I've built from scratch, I've always had uh, if there isn't an endpoint available, it returns to the homepage. So it still returns you a 200. It just dumps yep. you on the homepage instead of throwing you a 404. Yeah. Well, in, in the docs, they have this example with 401, for example. So that mm-hmm. potentially could prevent leaking of any error messages, stack traces, etc. Like, you know, for if you got like an unauthorized or forbidden stuff, and then you got just like, you got this rules that it would show generic for one page, like unauthorized, but it won't return the actual backend response. So maybe okay. in that case, you kind of then, yeah, preventing, because that's like yeah. very often you could see that, yeah, it would say username with this password doesn't exist or something like that. That's right. Yeah, you, want so. to, you, want to, you want to mask what the backend mm-hmm. is actually doing, right? And you don't, you don't, any information that could come through could, can mm-hmm. be a potential source, leak source, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that, could, that could, could be that somehow links to security, uh, improving yeah. security. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, cool feature. I highly suspect I'll be implementing that very soon in uh, PC work off that coming up. So I'll let you know how that goes. Nice. All right, then moving on, we'll take a look at some security items. Uh, Tangerine. Now, I, I wasn't aware of Tangerine Telecom until actually recently. I didn't even know they existed as a, as a provider. Um, the reason I, I knew about them now is because they're actually pretty cheap oh, compared okay. to some of the other guys. Yeah, well, uh, the base NVM plans around seventy dollars, right? But okay. uh, Tangerine have a six month introductory plan where it's, it's about fifty bucks for for six months. So they're, they're one of the cheaper ones at the moment for that six month period. But uh, looks like you uh, you pay for the convenience because <laughs> the customer data two hundred thirty two thousand. Uh, Customers had their data leaked by a cyber incident. Yeah, so this one that says uh, in the article that it was a legacy customer database uh, that was leaked, and uh, the data that they that was accessed was full names, date of birth, mobile numbers, email address, postal address, and their Tangerine account number. Which, uh, I mean, they're all the bits of information that you used to ver- verify someone over the phone. Yep. Yep. And once again, full name and date of birth, they got it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, talked about that before. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, logging credentials are either stolen or acquired or they were, you know, vestigial logging credentials from a contractor that had done some work with Tangerine. Mm-hmm. And uh, those credentials were exposed and the database was compromised as a result. Yeah. Now, on the plus side, uh, the CEO of Tangerine Telecom, whose name is Andrew Branson, said that uh, access to the affected database has been closed off, um, and they're thankful that they don't also hold things like driver's license details, et cetera, um, because of work that they've done over recent years to to review the data that they actually needed to keep. So they didn't become another, um, another Medibank or another Optus and and leaking out driver's license details along with all of that other personal identifiable info. Just don't need it. Just don't no. need to keep it. Nope. No. No, once you've validated someone is who they say they are, then that's it. Don't need move to keep on. that data anymore. Move on, move on, yep. And I think I said this last time when we when we were looking at one is, I, I really don't know why the governments of Australia don't have an API that, that providers can use to put in, like, name, date of birth, and driver's license number that they're being given from a client and say, yes, that's correct, or no, that's not. Yeah, because you could take all that information, create some sort of hash, yep, and then uh, you query that API, you get the hash response and go, yeah, it's all good. Yep, it, we're done. I mean, the yep. government's already got all that information sitting in a yep. database somewhere. Yep. So why should it be kept by someone else? Yeah, I think you just uh, in, in, invented our next big product, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Solving the problems of the world, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, of course, I still don't give you that, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, cool. And moving on with our favourite, uh, HW Edgeworth. <laughs> uh, they're going to be investigated. Could be trouble. Yeah. So 
the government is, uh, well, the, the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner um, is investigating whether the law firm violated the Privacy Act by failing to protect sensitive data or proper, properly notifying individuals affected by the breach. Now, this raises a bit of a concern for me because mm. they were breached, they were hacked, there was, a, there was a, a breach that occurred there where they lost a large amount of data and, yes, a lot of that data pertained to government entities uh, so if they were found to not be protecting sensitive data, what's the difference between that and Optus or Medibank who also failed to protect sensitive data and compromised millions of Australians' details? Yep. And here's the thing. Uh, where do you draw that line? This is what I'm thinking. Mm. Define failing to protect sensitive data. Okay, so it's very easy to define uh, define you as not protecting sensitive data if you're, uh, you know, your, your web server patches are like 12 patches behind and there's like 150 CVEs against that version of, of Apache, yeah. right? But clearly, clearly you've been negligent there. But what if you've fallen victim to a zero day? Yeah. Right? Nobody knows about this thing. You've got the latest and bang, you've been compromised by a zero day and suddenly millions of accounts are out there. Um, can you, can you, can you be tagged as failing to protect sensitive data then? You know, where, where, where do we draw the limit here? And that's right. And, and like, do we draw the limit as, oh, you're, you're terminating SSL on your load balancer and not passing it back in SSL as well. Like you're not re-encrypting that data through your load balancer to your backend services and you're not storing your data encrypted on disk or like there's, like where is that line drawn? Like how much how much protection does data need before it's deemed as not protected or mm. protected? But then um, what do you, even like with a zero day and stuff, I mean, usually you would have at least multi layers of right to, to access anything. I guess that's mm -hmm. probably... Well, you should, you, yeah. You, you, yeah. you got one zero day, but like, if you're, if you're all, all your data is segregated correctly and you know, you don't have any user end user access to the production data and all that stuff, how it's supposed to be, then even like if you got zero day in front end, it should never get to the point where like it, it leaks your, you know, your database data and stuff where it's like oh, database yeah. should never be exposed, right? It's like, it's somewhere there, like in a very no it should um, it shouldn't Dim, but yeah. but it does optus was a prime example of that yeah. one they had a database yeah. on the internet well yeah, yeah that's right but that's what i was saying yeah so yes it looks like we don't we don't really need to usually dig into the details because you would realize that uh yeah there was like lots of yeah, yeah it's mm. more look like a cultural more like a cultural aspect you know when uh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i suppose that would yeah. be that would be the purpose of any investigation right to determine that yeah, yeah. do you do yeah. you have the appropriate level of segregation and least privileged yeah. access and all that sort of stuff like this yeah. yeah yeah well i wish them the best of luck um because that's there's an awful lot of data and an awful lot of entities that were compromised by that uh mm. that breach mm. Um, and here's, here's a little sting in the tail at the end of this article. Um, others have complained they, they could not check whether their records had been leaked, right? They can't even go and look because a Supreme Court injunction prevent them from accessing the stolen data set. Yep. Yeah, and that's wrong. I'm sorry, but that's – you. Uh, if you're – if the government has been breached and through whether it's through a third party or not and they put an injunction in via the Supreme Court to prevent people from accessing that stolen data, they must supply some other way for users to check if their data has been leaked. Yeah. Or or maybe some put some provision in there that says if you suspect that your data is compromised, then you're exempt from that injunction somehow. Yeah. Or you can have or they employ some third party that can that is permitted to do the investigation into it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, yeah, they've got to provide some way because otherwise, then yeah. the liability becomes on the government because you've had your comp your details compromised. The government's preventing you from checking if your details have been compromised. Therefore, the government is now responsible for your compromised data. Yeah, they can't have the cake and eat it too. No, that's right. Although they'll try. <laughs> they will try. <laughs>
Anyway, uh, the HWL Antwerp could uh, potentially face civil penalties, uh, and uh, we'll just we'll just follow that and see how it goes. Uh, moving on, um, I guess these next two sort of dovetail into the AI wars, but we will get to the AI wars in a minute. <laughs> Google's unveiled uh, a bunch of new tools uh, to help AI-based tools to help with security. Uh, what have we got here? We've got uh, Google announces free AI cyber tools to bolster online security. Yeah, so there's a there's a Bloomberg article there that I can't read because it's behind a paywall. Uh, but I found a Google blog article that uh, talks about safety and security um, and Google AI cyber defense initiative, mm. uh, where they go through some some things that Google does in order to to bolster cybersecurity across their platforms. Um, so things like uh, AI-ready network of global data centers, um, the AI for cybersecurity cohort of 17 startups from UK, US, and EU under the Google for Startups Growth Academy AI for cybersecurity program. And then some really cool ones like they've open source Magica, which is an internal Google tool that does file type detection. Um, and there's a there's a link in this uh, Google blog article about about Magica and and what it what it does and how it compares to other tools like Exif tool and and the likes. Right, and that that's useful for detecting malware specifically. That's right, and they use yeah. it in um, Gmail and Drive and safe browsing and all that, um, as well as their Virus Total team uses it. So. I mean, Google's always been a massive supporter of open source software. Um, if you read the Magica article, you'll um, you'll see a link of a whole heap of different tooling that they've open sourced, like Jax and all that sort of stuff. Um, so this is this is another good initiative that they've got. Yeah, there's a bunch of things that they're doing. Um, go and take a look at this story um, or the article. I reckon we're going to see more of this um, because we know that. Uh, Trying to solve this uh, security problem using manual, I'm going to say manual methods, uh, that we, traditional methods, it's just becoming untenable now. It's, oh, yeah. It moves so quickly and it's so massive that uh, these AI solutions are the answer to it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Until the next thing comes along, until we get yeah. quantum, until we get quantum and quantum. <laughs> <laughs> I think quantum computing's still a fair way off. <laughs> there it is, it is. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Go and take a look at that. All right, let's do it. Let's get on with the AI Wars. AI Wars. All right, and straight out of the gate, uh, Google's all in. Gemini 1.5 uh, is available uh, in preview for developers. And Ian... You have it. I have it. I have it. I've had it for a couple of days now, and it is really cool. So uh, so in this article, which was February 15th, so it's a, it's a few weeks old now, um, they say that Gemini 1.0 Ultra um, was released with, in Gemini Advanced, uh, but now they've released uh, their next-gen model, which is Gemini 1.5, which is now... Uh, uses a new mixture of experts approach and it is multi-modal out of the box. Yep. So it does text generation, image generation. We'll get onto that one in a bit and, um, and video generation as well. Uh, but the really, really, really big thing about this one is with you got, you got to use the voice. You got to use the voice coming up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the really big thing about this is that with Gemini 1.0, uh, the language model had about 200 tokens. Uh, Gemini 1.5 can have up to a million. No, no, no. One million tokens. <laughs> One million tokens, exactly. <laughs> um, and for those who don't know what a token is, a token is the unit of data, essentially, for an AI. So a word, a word. A, wo a word is, a, yeah. is a, per a bit of punctuation or a subword. Yeah. So if you've got hyphenated words, that's that that subword is is a is a token. And the way that the model sort of works very loosely, as explained um, at the the GDG summit um, the other weekend that I was at, is that that uh, Gemini will like it. It creates 
the the sentence that it's responding to you with if that's what it's doing and it and every time it creates a new, or adds a new word to this sentence a new set of tokens come out and then those tokens are ranked and it's like a zero to one rank and whichever one is the highest one is what it thinks is the most fitting word to go in there and then it just keeps doing that over and over again um, but it doesn't necessarily take the highest ranked word every time no, there's a, there's a randomness, a random yeah. sort of a temperature they call that, don't they? Yeah, really? that's there's, right. There's the temperature. temperature to that's it. it. Yeah, the temperature. It is really interesting uh, to learn how Gemini works, and I, I was like, I was sitting there in the in the tutorial on the on the other weekend, just like jaw is hitting the ground thinking mm. about it, how much compute is required. Yeah, yeah, and all the parameters they can adjust to get the get the right result. Um, yeah. So with one million tokens, what can you do? You can upload multiple files and ask questions. So you could just dump PDFs into it or like, you know, for enterprises, they can just dump their, their corporate knowledge into it. Um, well, here's a, here's a really good example of that, right? So uh, think of a real estate agency. They, ge- mm. they generate these really swanky descriptions of properties. Um, they can upload a few of their previous descriptions and they can s- and, and photos of the property and they can say to um, to Gemini, hey, uh, write me a um, a description of this property based on the the text that you see and the photos that I've uploaded. And it'll go through and actually do that in the style that it was written before. Mm-hmm. Nice. So now everyone's job's under threat. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could query an entire code repository. Interesting. Well, this no. is this is Duet AI. That's what Duet That's AI true. does. Yeah. But you could, you could in your prompt you could, with a million tokens you could you could put well depends how big your code repository. That's a lot of code you could put into your prompt. Yeah. You well. Answer. Yeah. You just yeah. need to send it a link to that as long as it, yeah, yeah. it can access that code repo. Yeah. Um, video. Interesting. You can give it a video, and it can. Interrogate that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, that was one of the demos that uh, the guys at Google did um, during the GDG Summit. Was they had a video fly through of a house, um, and that's that's where I got the real estate thing from. Mm. Is they had a video fly through of a house, and they asked Gemini to describe the house based on the video, <laughs> and it did this really really cool job of describing like the openness and, and uh, features of the property and all this sort of stuff just based on a fly-through. Yeah, nice. You don't have to think about that. Anymore. It's no. Yeah. Yep. Imagine, imagine, imagine you can feed in a whole movie. And you don't need, to, don't, don't need to write movie reviews anymore. You just feed the whole movie in there and it just gives you like a paragraph review of the movie. Interesting. <laughs> um, can you do the – you know that game where – they show the photo of some place, and then people are trying to figure out where where it's located. I wonder the geolocators, you, yeah, yeah, geolocated. Yeah, I wonder like if uh, now you can just uh, give it to Gemini, and uh, it should know there, the answer. That there you that go. that might be actually a really cool experiment to do. Yeah. There okay. you go. Where was this photo taken? Yes, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, 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 the weekend is just one day away. <laughs> Well, I mean, because well, it's got access to data maps. Set? Yeah. yeah, well, it's got access to maps and Earth data sets. So mm. theoretically, it could actually identify a photo taken from virtually anywhere on Earth, except for those places that Google isn't allowed to go into or can't get to for whatever reason. Yeah, but also interesting, like even if it doesn't have like, you know, photo of every place, but then probably could could guess based on the all the, you know, the arounds and the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the what, flora what and fauna and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Gemini 1.5, really, really cool. Can't wait to try it out. And now you've just given me my first experiment for it. There you go. Right. But it's not perfect. Yeah, it's, it's not perfect. perfect. Uh, it's not uh, allowed to generate images of people at the moment. No. No, they uh, – Google uh, – Google have come out and they've said we're aware of Gemini is offering inaccuracies in some historical image generation depictions. Yes. Uh, it turns out that uh, it's not getting uh, the race of some individuals correct in historical images. 
Now, reading another article, they're saying that uh, they uh, tune the model so that you get a, a, balance, a balanced representation of um, individuals, um, and a good cross-section, you know, of, of all ethnicities in, in, in Egypt. But the thing is, in some historical instances, that having a balance is not historically correct. That's right. Right? You, you know, there's, there's particular, uh, you know, incidents that have happened in the past that, uh, you know, are either one race or another race or particular individuals, and that needs to be represented correctly. Um, so, so for now, they've caused the generation of images that contain people. Yeah, that's right. So the, there was another, that other article that we're looking at on Silicon Angle said if you ask for a picture of, of football players or someone walking a dog, you may want to receive a range of people. You probably mm. just don't want to receive only images of people of just one type of ethnicity or characteristic. Um, so they've they've said there that, yes, as you said, rightly said, the tuning of their model um, shows a range of people um, and failed to account for where it probably shouldn't be showing that range of people. And second, over time, the model became aware, uh, became way more cautious than we intended and refused to answer certain prompts entirely. Now, that's interesting. How, 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 how does that occur? Is that, is that as they're training the model or is that self-perpetuating? It's, no, it's a feedback loop that's built uh -huh. into it. Uh-huh. So if, if people... So if you, you get um, an image generator or even just ask a question of Gemini and it gives you back an answer, there's a little set of buttons down the bottom that that you can go, we want to check this answer with Google or you want to you approve of this answer or you disapprove of this answer, and that's that feedback loop. And that goes into retraining that model constantly. Now, I find that fascinating. The, <laughs> fact, that, the fact that the model is becoming more and more politically correct. Yep. Right, that, that's really a representation on, on what what we're seeing in IRL, right, in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that is absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure there's going to be a paper or something to come out on that. But yeah. I don't think it has an – I don't – sorry, Dimmy, I, I don't think it has an option, though, because as the human race becomes more politically, politically correct, th there's more people who are going to correct the model and therefore make the model more politically correct. Mm. So it's sort of it's a it's a beast of our own doing. Our own doing, yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. But the, I guess the good news is that yeah, it's just a bunch of people who are looking after that, like uh, ethics in all this like new artificial intelligence and machine learning stuff. Um, I think I, like I saw some meetups um, even like as early as a couple of years ago that would talk about like there was no like Gen AI by then, but they would talk about like machine learning and stuff and how to make sure that all these models and stuff they they have you know lev level of ethics um, that it should be there. So yeah, and ensure that our own human biases and fallacies aren't reflected in the models. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, that's super cool. And they, yeah, I was like, well, as one of my hobbies was like recently just uh, going through like Skype um, books about philosophy and stuff. And then it's like they're always saying that, uh, what's the next big question? You know, how like a great, what is great or good, or like what is like what is good and stuff. That was like before, but now it looks like it's all kind of around the climate change. But another like ethics in all this. Um, artificial intelligent products mm. and stuff that's uh, coming up. So that's kind of next next wave of big questions that uh, yeah, needs to be answered. Yeah. Next big question, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, we'll keep, we'll keep track on that one as well because, yeah, that is, that is a fascinating topic. And uh, we do have, by the way, uh, in Mandel Group, there's another podcast called the uh, – AI Australia podcast, and this is the kind of thing that they tackle, uh, ethics in AI and machine learning. So go and have a listen to that. Um, I'm sure they've got a lot more to say and they'll be a lot more knowledgeable than we are on AI and NL. Um, so yeah, make sure you go and have a listen to that. I was going to say there is actually a Google uh, site on responsible AI and what Google does to ensure responsibility in their AI. It's, their, it's like they're their living Bible for how to create it. So that's also worth a good read because it's yep. quite an enlightening document. Yeah. 
Yeah. And as you say, Jimmy, you, you start to get into philosophy, don't you? Philosophy and ethics. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, then, just to finish up the show, because, you know, oh, boy, we've been going for a while here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Google, Google again, they're all in on it, has introduced a couple of new lightweight models um, uh, based on Gemma. Uh, Gemma 2B and Gemma 7B, each uh, released with pre-trained uh, and instruction-tuned variants. So these are lightweight models that I assume uh, assume they're available in mod- Model Garden like all the other models are. They are uh, indeed. Yeah, yeah, they are. I just, yep. just deployed one before the show. Oh, you <laughs> did? Oh, yes. nice. Yeah. Well, you have that. it hot off the presses. What's it, what are they like to me? Uh, they're good, uh, but yeah, I've yet to I've yet to discover. So yeah, I'll dig I'll dig more into that. I think mm. I think the one, the thing that sort of um, grabs my attention in this article is the Gemma models share technical and infrastructure components with Gemini. So there, there's a whole lot of power behind Gemma um, that you get out of Gemini, but just with a really really small model. So the 2B and the 7B refer to the model sizes, is that right? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, it's a, a 2 and 7 billion parameter model. Right, okay, yes. We so, have talked about that on the show before. Tony, um, only tiny. <laughs> only tiny. But, but looking, comparing it to Llama 2, Llama 2 7B model, uh, you're getting double the uh, more or less – Double the I don't know um, output from it. Yeah, um, quality quality of output. Yeah, quality of output. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, and compared to the Lama two thirteen B, it's well on par in some areas, but beats it in a few other areas. Yeah, we, we'll say maybe it's a quarter better. Yeah, maybe twenty. Yeah, maybe twenty five percent better um, in some areas. But but I mean that's that's just based on the the four main capabilities of of both models. Mm. Um, but certainly an interesting one to to have a play with. I haven't actually had a play with Gemma yet. Um, I found out about it at the ANZ Summit, uh, which and I meant to play with it last week, but I never got a chance, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to summarise, uh, works with, with all your, your frameworks, um, Keras 3.0, PyTorch, uh, Jackson Hugging Face. Uh, it's cross-device compatible. Um, you know, laptops, uh, desktop, IoT, mobile, and cloud. Um, you can um, you can run it on your um, NVIDIA GPUs, uh, your data centers if you want, uh, and of course, it's optimized for Google Cloud, Bubble, and Vertex AI, and Kubernetes. and Kubernetes, and Kubernetes. That that one I found really surprising. Like, oh, I can deploy a model on Kubernetes. That's cool. Okay. What sort of compute you need? Mm. Probably not I'm much, get- really. Yeah, I guess yeah. you just create a node pool or something, right? I wonder yeah. if it yeah, also yeah. will scale scale up and scale down, right? That would be the the main use case for that if you want to deploy it on Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah because you can deploy a node pool that has uh, GPU accelerators on it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Would it scale to zero? No, right? Uh, you. No, well, you can't have a node pool that scales to zero because then mm. it doesn't exist. You can have a node pool that scales down to one. Mm. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for home, for, for home experiments, even one instance with GPU is like... <laughs> well, for, for home-based experiments, just, just go to um, Google's AI Studio yeah, and yep. use that because that's the simplest way of running a model. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, Dimmy, we look forward to hearing uh, your experience with that, uh, given that you've just spun one up, and uh, yeah, let us know how it goes. Yep. But look, guys, I think that's it for today. Um, I'm seeing one hour 20 on my timer here. Boy, oh boy, it's going to yep. be a bumper show. <laughs> it's going to be a cracker. Uh, it is going to be a cracker um, for your last show, and sad to see you go. Um, good luck with your next adventures. Uh, we're going to be in touch. Actually, you're coming down to Sydney in a couple of weeks, so we'll, we'll, we'll catch up there. We'll have a beer for sure. Definitely. Um, and, Dimmy, uh, great to have you on board. I'm looking forward to your insights on everything that you know about Google Cloud, already getting some great ones from, from you. 
Uh, and look, guys, don't forget, go to iTunes, write a review to the full show. And uh, I now have the YouTube podcast feed working. So you can go to YouTube and you can comment directly on any of the shows on YouTube. And that's great because that's all fully automated as well. I just picked up the RSS feed and, and, and ingested it. It's really good. Uh, you can contact the show, gcplife at casting.com.au. That does still work. I haven't changed that address yet. I tested it the other day. Um, and uh, don't forget, today's show is sponsored by Mental Group. At Mental Group, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Uh, that's about it from me. Uh, Ian, got any last words for our listeners? No, thank you very much for listening and, and dealing with the garbage that sometimes comes out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've no, I've loved every second of this. It's uh, it's been an absolute hoot doing this show, and uh, yeah, I will definitely be listening on uh, when I leave Kasna. Awesome, mate. Good night, good night, and uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch and we'll keep keep the listeners updated with the latest. And they can always follow you on LinkedIn, I guess, and see what the latest what you're up to. Yeah, yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn, and and I sort of frequent the various cities around the country doing talks about Google. Um, as part of being a GDE, so yeah, yeah. Oh, we should give the uh, GDE Discord group a plug as well. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely yeah. go and join the Google Developers Online community, and uh, and don't forget to your local GDG will very soon because we've been talking about Gemini AI so much. Um, your local GDG community will be or meetup will be doing Build with AI very shortly as well. So get into that. Nice. Nice. All right, and it's been a pleasure. And Dimmy, um, we'll have we'll talk with you more next week because uh, it's showtime for you next week. <laughs> oh, awesome! Yep, yep. Awesome, awesome, guys. We're out of here. See ya. Bye. Bye. should learn how to do that yeah. <laughs> you got to put on your deep manly voice <laughs> just give us an ai wars I'll, uh, for the I'll, I'll, I'll practice for the next you'll practice that one. Yeah. okay <laughs>